Welcome back, everyone, to Debating Metal. I'm your host, Kenneth Dean, the Dean of Metal, along with my co-host, Chris Kay. This week, we're going all the way back to 1990 with Poison's Flesh and Blood going head-to-head against Warren's Cherry Pie, two huge albums that came out in the waning days of glam pop metal. While glam was on its way out, with grunge just a year away, it did receive a brief resurgence when these bands came on the scene. 1990 would be the year for both bands' career-defining albums. Today, we're going to go song for song to see which one we think is the better album. Then stick around to the end where we give you a double big four for Poison and Warrant. We're going to discuss that and a whole lot more, but first, remember to tell your friends about Debating Metal and make sure they click subscribe on their favorite podcast platform because we know you already have. All right, Chris, so it's Poison versus Warrant, 1990. Uh, Flesh and Blood versus Cherry Pie. Um, it was quite a year. And in, in all reality, when you think about what comes next year in 91, there was such a, a, a mixture of things that, that were, was happening. You know, things were slowly starting to bubble in, in Seattle, but no one was really aware of it. And, you know, pop metal, glam metal, whatever we want to call it, um, was uh, clueless as to what was coming up and what was about to smack them in the face. I think that's probably a good way of putting it. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you know, you can see in hindsight all these bands talking about the effect it had on their lives, you know, how much money they were spending, you know, the the excess that they were living in, the the highlight, or they were living in the, 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 the limelight. And then all of a sudden they weren't cool anymore. And, uh, you know, some bands were able to kind of make it through, but many did not. Well, and that, that's, that is one of the things that I, w- I want to have a show on, a rant about, which is that whole, basically the handing over of the baton very reluctantly from the glam metal scene to the grunge scene, because it, it, no matter what anybody says to me, you know, and they talk about, oh, you know, glam, you know, uh, uh, grunge made me change everything about my life. No, you know what? Yes, Metallica changed, but guess what? Pantera had great success in the '90s. I mean, they started in 1990, and they had great success, and they were getting more and more extreme with every album. So don't tell me that it was because you know, you know, uh, certain kinds of music were were not acceptable. You know, it, I mean, it was. We know a big factor of that is is the studios and the the record companies themselves. Right, and that's another rant for another day. But if you if you, I mean, if if the guy, I, I can understand if a studio or, or not a studio, but if a record company says to you, "Hey, you need to sound like this," okay, well, that's not us. You know, if if they get into a pissing match back and forth, then I can understand that part of the problem you know, uh, being prevalent to the, to, to the demise of the, of the scene. Okay. But there were some bands that were still in that, that didn't really, I don't want to say change much. I guess you'd say they, they altered some things They changed their image to be a little bit less glammy, but you know, they still were able to kind of forge their way through you know, minimal success, but success nonetheless. But that's a conversation for another day. Today, we're talking about Poison and Warrant. And we're going to start off with Poison. 
And I'm going to go ahead and start off this this conversation. So, uh, Poison's Flesh and Blood was released June 21st, 1990, and it was released on Enigma Records. It was recorded at Little Mountain Sound Studios in Vancouver, British Columbia. It was produced by Bruce Fairbairn, and it was co-produced and mixed by Mike Frazier. Um, Bruce Fairbairn was a huge producer uh, at the end of the 80s, early 90s. I mean, he did Aerosmith's Pump. Uh, he did, uh, if I'm not mistaken, he's Razor's Edge for ACDC. He was uh, a big guy on a lot of the Bon Jovi records. So it, it's uh, he was a, a huge, huge producer in his day. Uh, he has since passed away. Um, <clears throat> so let's get started with the songs. Um, the first song, Strange Days of Uncle Jack. It's an instrumental. It's a strange way to start an album. What do you think about that? I mean, it's not even really much of an instrumental, to be honest. Right, um, yeah, cause it's, it's not. It's like more ambient sounds, some muffled, distorted speaking. Um, you know, I didn't really listen too deep into what was actually being said. Um, kind of sounded like something that would be on an answering machine or something. It's kind of, it's hard to understand because yeah. like, I had it on my stereo and I played it really loud and you still really couldn't discern what was going on. Yeah. You know. The other thing was like it ends with this really ear piercing quality. Like mm-hmm. and so that leads right into the next song. And I don't know, I just I I I don't have much to say about it because it's not much of a track, but no, it, I, I could have done without it. Yeah, honestly. it was extremely strange for me. Um but yeah, it does lead into the next song, which is Valley of Lost Souls. I think that's a really good song. Um, you know, it begins with a drum fill intro, and then the crashing chords come in behind it. You got some lead licks to jump in. Uh, you got a really cool riff. Um, what I what I I think is pretty cool about this song is like every line in the verses ends with um, with CC doing some sort of, and it's all almost all the same throughout this throughout every verse. But there's a couple of changes here and there. A really cool like a, a, a riff, la, excuse me, a riff slash lick that he does right at the end of the verse or at the end of the line f- throughout the verses. Um, the chorus is really catchy. Um, so I, I like the song a lot. I mean, CC, it's a typical guitar solo from CC. It's just, it's a million notes thrown into 30 seconds. <laughs> and he's really good at that. Like CC doesn't get a lot of credit for the guitar player that he is, but he does do some very tasteful guitar solos, regardless of whether it's a million or two million or a hundred thousand notes. They're all smashed in there, but it still sounds pretty good. So yeah, I'm not. I'm I'm obviously not a huge uh, glam metal fan. We've talked about that on previous episodes. So some of this stuff I'm not super familiar with, and. Um, that's kind of what's interesting to me about it is is hearing a lot of this stuff for the first time, and I didn't I didn't realize that CC kind of took so much flack as a guitarist and was a punchline for a long time. He he was, and and because the thing is that he was, I mean, for lack of a better term, he was a drunk, mm-hmm. and he was always you know running around all over the stage. He had that big giant hair that you know, was straight teased all the way out. And it, it, it was a look that worked for him, but, um, and, and you, you realize that this is the, when you sit back and think about it live, there's only one guitar player. Um, you know, Brett sometimes plays rhythm. Sometimes he doesn't, you know? And so for the most part, the, the, you know, 
most of the guitar work is CC. So it's really cool to, to know. I mean, he did do some tasteful guitar solos, and this is one of them. Yeah, and the, the other thing was that a lot of people had said that he was very sloppy live, and that would be indicative of him being drunk, etc. So... Um, drunk and running all over the place dude yeah like if you're if you're running from side to side trying to do your guitar solo instead of just standing still you're gonna mess up but if you but if you listen to the album i mean you wouldn't be able to tell that because you like you said they're very tasteful solos um you know that's something that I, i'll probably acknowledge all the way through um but th- it fits with the song very well it's it's not a bad track um you know pretty basic rocker but it's it's a good start. I would rather the album have just started with this track rather than whatever came before it, honestly. Yeah, and I agree with that. Um, song number three, Flesh and Blood, Sacrifice. Um, for me, uh, it you know starts off with a guitar riff. It's okay. Um, it's kind of like almost like a scatty, scratchy kind of riff. Um, the verse starts off uh, with just some drum accompaniment you know, before the whole band jumps in. The song is kind of slow and sludgy kind of you know that kind of pace to his song the chorus is catchy it's a sing-along style song you know uh the background chant is fairly generic as it goes throughout the chorus um again solo million notes but it fits the song pretty good so i i didn't really recognize it as slow and sludgy more it is a little bit slow but i thought of it more as like poppy um you know it's it's a song that you could like if you're at a concert you would see the girls kind of dancing along to it with a beer in their hand you know that's the way <laughs> I, that's seen what that i before i have seen it many times <laughs> um but that's what i pictured when i when i listened to this song you know it's it's one that you could clap along to because you know it clap above your head you know that <laughs> that uh that kind of interaction with the band Right. So, you know, it's a competent solo. It fits the song pretty well. I, I, it, that being said, I don't think it's one of the best songs on the album. It is the fifth single. And, you know, it's it's decent. But I think the other singles are probably a little better. You, you get that far into an album with singles. You have five singles on an album. So you're already halfway through a typical 10-song album. Mm-hmm. And you're to me, that's that you're stretching. If you've had good success with the first three or four, you know all you're asking for when you go to a fifth single is is more sales your, and more money. You're, you're, well, yeah, <laughs> you're asking for more sales and more money, but you're you're asking for um, it, depending on the artist, and it happens most times. Um, you're asking for basically burnout and and oversaturation. The, the like the difference is that, that kind of thing with like multiple singles like five six seven singles that started with michael jackson and thriller uh, because because michael set out to do the perfect album he was he was discouraged by some other things that had gone on and he wanted to make the perfect album he wanted to have an album you know from a to z every song was going to be a major hit no one through ten however you want to look at it and he almost achieved it i mean that that album thriller is as as perfect for that genre of music as it can possibly be i think there's like one song that it really never really went anywhere but to have like seven singles that was huge and so for me you know you you start for a rock band you start searching for songs when you get into, into the fifth and sixth singles on an album um 
so you know it, it, the song was okay I, I didn't think it was worthy of a single especially after you've had success with the first four so um the next song song number four swamp juice soul o uh, that's a play on words there. Guitar solo featuring some clean electric and acoustic guitars. Um, it's probably an interplay between Brett, who likes to play acoustic, and CC, who does his electric uh, guitar work. Um, I mean, it's it's just to me, it's just some noodling around in the studio. That's the way I look at it. Yeah, I mean, it's a it's a bluesy western style instrumental. It's pretty good. It's worth a listen. Yeah, I mean, it to me it doesn't take away or add anything to the album or the or the, the next song. I like it. I mean, I I don't know about its placement being so high in the album. I almost almost think it would be better somewhere later. Or if you were going to have multiples of these, you could kind of intersperse them to add uh, some connectivity there. But it's fine. I, I like it. Okay. Well, the next song is Unskinny Bop. That was the first single off the album. Um, okay, and this song is just catchy as all get out. I mean, the bass riff on this song drives it. Um, it's one of Poison's biggest non-ballad songs. Uh, I think this song's great. I mean, it, it's it's very different from some of the things that you've heard either from Poison or from that scene. So I think that's one of the things that makes it stand out. Um, but I think it's a pretty cool song. Yeah, I mean, this was the big hit. The band's second biggest next to Every Rose Has Its Thorn. Um, it's a song that, uh, pun intended, bops along. It's <laughs> it's definitely catchy. Uh, the meaning of, of Unskinny Bop is what really cracks me up about this. So CC basically just input it into the song as filler until because it fit the structure it was just it was just wordplay that meant nothing and then it just stuck they they thought it fit the song they liked it whatever it meant or didn't mean it's it didn't matter because it 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 meant something when in in the context of the song so it, it as starting out from meaning absolutely nothing and just being a, some filler words you know like we talked about with uh what was the Japanese band? A loudness, loudness. Mm-hmm. You know, oh MZO or NZO something. Like that. Yeah, they they put the <laughs> they put the phrase in there that was just filler, and sometimes that sticks because it sounds good. Well, it's a good thing that wa na 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 did not stick with wherever I may roam from Metallica. Okay, just putting that out. there. I don't know. <laughs> I gotta tell you that that might have changed that and made them a bigger band. Wa na 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 na. <laughs> that was great. I mean, only a few people know Metallica now, but just imagine if they had released. Uh, imagine one if they would have had the one on us. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, next song is "Let It Play." It's the sixth song in the album. Um, it's uh, got an acapella intro, cool, catchy little riff, and the band does a really good job on this song of singing in harmony throughout the song. Um, CC has some enhancement leads in between the verses, and then he, you know, he, he blows into a nice verse. Uh, excuse me, a nice solo uh, later in the song. I, I like the way the song is is uh, laid out. Um, I like the fact that they took the time to really hone in on the harmony part for this song because if you're going to start a, a song out with that kind of harmony intro, you better nail it, you know. And I think they did. So, 
this track is about as unthreatening as metal gets. <laughs> and here's here's what I heard when I listened to this. You remember on Scooby-Doo when they'd be running away from the masked villain and they'd be going from door to door and they like they would have like a song playing in the background. This would be like the metal version of that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> So you, you know what I'm talking about, like where they would be chased by the guy and then they'd be going in one door on one side and then pop out on the other side. And yeah, it, it, yeah that's this song right here. <laughs> the scatting I, also got me. <laughs> well, that's 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 a, a trademark uh, of, of Brett. So, yep. um, you know, it, it's a it's a playful song, you know, obviously, no, no pun intended, um, but. It's it is what it is. I mean, it's just a fun song. Um, it's one of those things where, you know, that's that's always been like if you, it, you I know you're not too into poison, but that's always been poison. It's like there's there's a lot of fun, and then every so often they throw something in there that you, makes you think, and that's the problem. It's like, why are you making me think? You know, just <laughs> this, let's have fun, and that's what they are. They're a party band, so. Um, but the next song is uh, Life Goes On, and that's the first of two ballads on the album, but it was the second one that was released um, after they had some success with Something to Believe In, which we're going to talk about a little bit later. Um, I I think it's a pretty cool song. I mean, it's a little bit more up-tempo than Something to Believe In, um, but it's a, it's, a, it's a cool song with a cool little story behind it. Um, what do you think about it? I don't know how cool the story is, but so <laughs> well, no, but I mean, the, well, the lyrics are written for a girlfriend of CC's that was shot and killed in a bar fight. So that's, that's kind of why, I mean, I don't know how cool it is because it is, it is very meaningful. And I know it's, it's a nice ballad that has a lot of feeling behind it. That That's what I kind of meant to say about it. There's, there's a, I know it's just a funny and, way and, of saying Yeah. It. I mean, it came across wrong because, and that, that was kind of what I was talking about beforehand. And every so often they, they throw a song out there that makes you think, you mm-hmm. know, uh, and they did it a couple times on this album, which is the strange thing. Like, this song, as well as something to believe in, you know, it's, it's one of those things where it's like you, to me, Brett could be so much more, but it, then he just goes back to being, you know, Brett Michaels, the party guy. So yeah, I mean, there's there's a couple songs that show a little bit of maturity here on this album, and uh, I mean, we'll get to them. This being one of them, I think it's one of the better tracks on the album, to be honest. And and maybe that's because it really did have some personal meaning behind it. Right. Um, the next song is "Come Hell or High Water." Uh, that song's got a cool, crunchy riff, uh, very blues based, mid tempo kind of song. Uh, it's got a catchy chorus, but for me, it doesn't really do anything for me. Um, the middle breakdown, really, you know, where it's just you know some some bass and drums, it just really doesn't do anything for me. It doesn't make sense to me. Uh, relatively generic, in my opinion. But what do you think? Well, it starts off with a, a guitar solo for the first 30 seconds, which is nice. Um, but then the tune kind of turns into nothing but a good time light. And <laughs> it's okay. The The bass stands out a little bit more than some of the others, and the solos work well. But yeah, I, I agree. It's very generic. Right. And then you go into a song like Ride the Wind, the next song. And, you know, at first listen, you, you kind of think that the opening riff is really not much 
much special, but the vocal melody is what makes this song a hit, uh, along with the catchy chorus. So to me, it's a well-written song. Um, it's one of those songs, like I said earlier, if, you, if you're going to pay that much attention to a song, you know, you, 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 to me, you got to do it to all the songs. And they paid a lot of attention to this song. They paid a lot of attention to Unskinny Bob. They paid a lot of attention to Let It Play, only because of the, the, the acapella. But this song, I mean, it was a hit and a single for a reason. You know, yeah. I mean, this was the third single, and in my opinion, it was on, it was honestly one of the best songs on on the album. Uh, it's a bit more mature, kind of as we stated before. Uh, that this is a little bit different. It's not just one of those songs about you know hooking up with hot chicks or partying. It, there's a little bit more to it, and, and the freedom of of you know being out there in the world and and finding something bigger than yourself and it's 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 a good track i and i I honestly when it comes to poison if there's if there's i know i don't hate poison but there's never been a time in my life where i said you know what i want to listen to poison so (laughs) so to find this on here though i I, like there's always something positive about these whenever we listen to them and and even if it's a band you don't like i think that that you can always find something you enjoy and this is a really good example of that because i actually really like this song well that's cool um i like the song too um so then the next song is don't give up an inch um song starts with an acapella version of the chorus it's pretty much an anthem kind of song um this is the way i put it i would say this is a good kiss song but kiss didn't write a song like this until revenge which came out two years later uh so (laughs) i'm trying to think uh i think it's take it off um is the song that I'm, i'm kind of thinking in my mind when i when i hear this song it's just a matter of you know the the way the song is structured with the with you know the the heavy beats and the start stop kind of thing and um you know, and then part of it is like, you know, this it, it's got this guitar solo that almost seems scattered. You know, it, it like almost seemed like it didn't know where it wanted to go at first. And then it finally said, oh, we're doing this. And it, it went down a nice little path, you know, you know, towards the end of the song. So, or towards the end of the solo, excuse me. So it's one of those, it, the song is okay. It's an anthem. It's pretty cool. But it, it, it's that it's starting to get generic uh, you know, you're already at song 10 and you still haven't gotten to one of the big hits yet on the album. So it's got a bunch of songs still to go. I I just felt like this one was a bit underdeveloped. Like it was, it was a lot of ideas that didn't really flesh out. And like you said, the solo wasn't, it, it was meandering. It didn't really get to where it was going, at least not quickly. And, you know, just, it, it didn't do it a lot for me. Um, I, I had to listen to it to a cu- listen to it a couple times because I kept losing myself in thought listening to it because it just, just nothing grabbed me. So right. uh, it and was this, it was filler. The solo, yeah, it was definitely filler. The solo to me was funny because it almost felt felt like like CC starts playing a guitar and he walks into a wall. And, and bounces off. <laughs> that's just the way it felt at first. I'm like, what's going on? I, I can see that. I, yeah. <laughs> All right. So uh, song number 11 is Something to Believe in. Um, this is the big hit off the album besides Unskinny Bop. Um, it was the second single release. And this, I like this song. This is, this is a great ballad. Um, 
Every Rose Has Its Thorn is a better ballad, in my opinion, but um, it, this is still a great ballad. Uh, it's got a really nice piano intro. The lyrics are extremely deep. The um, I think it's the second verse or the third verse um, where Brett starts is talking about his best friend um, who passed away um, suddenly. Uh, it was one of those, this is a really deep song. It's one of Poison's more mature songs. And you see what they can do when they really, or what Brett can do when he puts his mind to putting together a really mature song. And this is this is one of those. I mean, yeah, it was, um, <clears throat> excuse me. Yeah, this was the second single. It was dedicated to James Kimo Mano, who was the the friend that passed away. He was a security guard uh, that was dealing with some some problems of his own and ended up passing away. And it, it's a very meaningful track. Uh, you know, it's it's not one of my favorite ballads or anything, but I think when you you hear an artist pour their heart into a, a song that means a lot so even if it's not something that you love or maybe like your favorite song or anything like that you can definitely feel those emotions pouring through and that's that's something very powerful uh i kind of feel like in some respects that this would be a great way to end the album but maybe that's also a too somber a note to finish it on so and i and i guess i'll elaborate on that more as we go uh, but this is a this is a really good track in general, right? And I agree with you. Where I think it, it, it should have either been the last song or the second to last song. Yeah, with the song with an up tempo song ending. It. The problem was that with the advent of CDs and the popularity of CDs and the vinyl on the way out, um, they they were allowed to put on an album that that could go an hour, hour in ten minutes sometimes, and you know, you had to write songs that could fill that. And, you know, for a band like Poison that, that writes three-minute ditties, you you got to come up with a lot of songs. And that's unfortunate because I think if they would have taken out these next two songs, <laughs> or maybe even three, it might not have been... Uh, it would have been, I think, more appreciated. I, th- I the- think you follow the, the Slayer rule or even, <laughs> you know, yeah. the Misfits with their 24-minute albums, you know, or... Then they have one that was like 10 or 15 minutes. Um, yeah, like more isn't always better. And the next track, uh, I think, exemplifies that perfectly. <laughs> <laughs> Ball and Chain is next. And the song starts off with some guitar noodling, uh, some dobro guitar work, there's some electric guitar work, acoustic guitar work. Uh, it's not a terrible song. It's a real simple blues-based rocker it's definitely end of album material that's the way i look at it yeah it's Um, just filler it's fine it's it's not bad it's not it's not one that you're gonna listen to and be like i hate this it's just gonna be like it's there (laughs) yeah exactly and then the next song is life loves a tragedy i think this would have been the perfect song to end the album with because it goes from being a ballad to a rocker to a ballad to a rocker and ends as a ballad um, I think that that kind of song would have probably been perfect to end the album with. Um, but, you know, you go a minute and a half into the song, you think it's a ballad, and then all of a sudden it changes, and it goes back to being a ballad again. 
Um, so it's 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 weird, but it's just, it's a catchy song. So it's not bad, but it's again we're getting to that point where it's like, all right, we got to put another song on here. And I agree. I feel like it it would be a really good album closer. But the problem is, you're also like, say you didn't have Ball and Chain there, then you're following something to believe in immediately with a a rocker ballad. You know, not not to be mistaken with a power ballad, but like th- it does switch back and forth, like mm, you said. Yeah. And so it, it, it becomes too samey in a way and takes away from one or the other. So I, they, that's why I feel like they had to put that filler track between it because if you're listening to it as a whole, like an album, like we used to do or mm-hmm. guys like you and I still do, um, then, then, uh, yeah, it, it's not, it gonna follow very well. So you take out come or hell, come come or hell, come <laughs> hell or high water, right? You 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 take out ball and chain. You move up, um, poor boy blues after something to believe in, and then you end on life loves a tragedy. And I think you got something there. Uh, but Probably, speaking yeah. of <laughs> speaking of poor boy blues, that's the end of the album. Good night. See you later. <laughs> You know, it's a fun song. It's a, it's decent- a fun blues jam. That, yeah, that's it's a cool. I mean, it, that's cool, and you could tell that you know Brett's not totally seriously into it. Um, it it's you know the way he's fiddling with his vo- you know his vocals and stuff like that. But it's it's a playful song, and it's a studio jam. Yeah, in my opinion. it's harmless. You know, it's it's one of those like you hear bands do where they were just kind of playing around and it gives the vibe of like they're just they're just fun guys you know and there's a lot of bands that did those kind of tracks so it's nothing really new and inventive but it's it's non-threatening it's fine exactly um overall this album is pretty good uh it was one it was their i think their second biggest selling album out of the three or four from the from this time period um I, I like the album. I mean, it was good. Not to me, it's not as good as "Open Up and Say Ah," but it's a good follow-up to "Open Up and Say Ah." I mean, you you, you didn't lose a whole lot in that regards, but it, it was uh, definitely not as strong, but still strong in its own right. So I was surprised to find more to like than I thought I would. Um, I've always thought of Poison as one of the like. If I was a uh, an elitist, I would say they were soft. Um, <laughs> you're an elitist. <laughs> I'm not though, because I, I know I know you're not. I'm very open to to listening to different things. I like what I like. Don't get me wrong, but I also no. am not a gatekeeper for metal. So <laughs> it's you know it, it's they're in an odd place for me in their in their range because I like some of the earlier stuff that's a little more raw. Um. And I don't mean uh, like I have it on my major playlist or anything like that, but I kind of like that sound a little better sometimes. But then I also like the more mature tracks like Ride the Wind. So it almost feels like they're in between something and maybe they just never got there because I did listen to some of the the stuff off of the next album too. Uh, The one with Richie Kotzen and that ain't great either. So, but... No, that one blows. (laughs) Yeah, but... uh, you know, Poison's not really for me, but at the same time, this was a really good exercise because I also found some stuff that, uh, like, Ride the Wind, I legitimately like that track. Um, did I just hear thunder through your... 
You You're, did. Wow, that is so strong. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty. It was pretty uh, loud. It alerted the doggo. So, so yeah, I found some stuff to really enjoy, and I think that's something that that I I have personally enjoyed doing this for is because I think anyone, if you give stuff a chance, you can find something to like about it. Absolutely. I mean. I'm not going to deny that I wasn't a Poison fan. I went to several of their concerts. I actually was at the concert that they recorded Swallow This Live to. They did a, I believe they recorded three three shows in Florida. One of them was in Miami, one was in Tampa, and I forgot where the other one was at. And the funny thing about it is if you listen to it and it says, you know, hello, Tampa, or something like that, right? You know, you wanted Poison or, you know, whatever the intro they right and then poison comes out they start playing a song and it says hello miami and it's like you couldn't change one or the other <laughs> <That's funny. laughs> so and, and during that show i i was probably within 20 feet of one of the the ambient microphones that were hanging from the ceiling uh-huh. um so it was pretty cool um like I said, I, I was a Poison fan. Uh, the first three albums, I mean, this being the, no, the third one, to me were great. I mean, I listened to Open Up and Say Ah a lot, and I thought that was a great album. You know, uh, there's some really good songs off the first album. You know, I remember buying the first album, and I would just stare at the cover thinking, are these guys or are these chicks? I mean, this is <laughs> some real, you know, and you know that it was a lot of airbrush stuff, you know, quote unquote, before Photoshop, but... At the same time, it was just like you're sitting there, just scratching your head, going, "Are these chicks or these guys?" You know, and that's what you said back then in, in the '80s, by the way. <laughs> so, um, and and it was really now you, uh, now you have to to respectfully uh, ask the question. Are what you, do you a chick? What do you want to be? <laughs> no, what do you want to be identified as? What do you want to be with your life? <laughs> Well, I'm still uh, asking that question, but not <laughs> regarding that. I'm just trying to figure out what I want to do with my life. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, um, so, you know, I, I, like I said, I'm not going to deny I, I was a Poison fan. Um, I w- I'm a big glam metal, pop metal, hair metal fan. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know there's there's a lot of um, anger towards that that phrase, hair metal. I don't have a problem with it. And we talked about that the other day. <laughs> I, I really don't. I, I was listening to Tom Kiefer talk to Eddie Trunk the other day, and Eddie hates that term, hair metal. I get it. I understand why he hates it. But at this point, it's beyond putting the, the, that, er, that era down. Now it basically defines that era. And I don't have a problem with that. That's the reason why I don't. See I don't think it there's as such anything a wrong with it because because it's not really derogatory. It, it, a lot of people. Well, it was at just, first. It was at first, but it's not anymore. A lot of people just identify it as that's that's the time period, and and it's not the same crowd talking about it necessarily that it was back then. So exactly. It's I think it's it's really a non-inflammatory statement, and it just really defines that era, in a way. Right, exactly. It defines the era, and it, 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 that's that's probably the best way to define the era. There was a lot of hair in, in that era. Um, all right, the, the so. image was a big part of the music. It was like it, there's no denying it. It wasn't just about the music. That was, there, the attitude was that was part of the look. 
Yeah. And, you know, and the thing is, you know, growing up during that era, I wanted to grow my hair out. I eventually grew it out, and it, but it didn't grow out until the mid-90s. Um, I just I could not get it to grow long. Yeah, I, I have really rough and coarse hair. But, you know, everyone else around me, just all the guys, or most of the guys, I mean, I say all, wanted long hair. And that was the look. That was the thing. And they listened to rock, and they listened to metal, and they, you know, some listened to thrash. You know, thrash was about the music, and they had long hair at the same time because that's just what you did to rebel. Just that's what you did to piss off your parents, <laughs> you know? So, all right. So, we move on. Now, we're going to Warrant. Um, let's see here. There's a couple things extra on this warrant thing here. Okay, so we're going to talk about Cherry Pie, which was released on September 11th, 1990 on Columbia Records. It was recorded at the Enterprise in Burbank, Cal- in Burbank California, and it was produced by Bo Hill of Rat fame. Um, one of the things that's interesting about this album, and we'll talk about the, the players in a second here, Janie Lane obviously is the vocalist he's the main songwriter the guitar players are joey allen and eric turner jerry dixon's on bass and steven sweets on drums but on this album there is one guy named mike slamer i'm gonna call him there's only one m he played all the guitar solos on this album except for one and we'll get to that in a minute um, so that's um, pretty interesting, you know, to think that you, the producer comes in, and this is Bo Hill, and says, "Yeah, you guys are guitar solos, are not up to snuff. We're going to bring somebody else in," but they were okay with it. So that's that's a good thing. So they must have realized that, yeah, we're still learning, and might as well get something good out of it. So, so from what I understand, that's not super out of the ordinary, um, but yeah, it did it did kind of shock me a little bit on how many additional musicians were on this album um, yeah there, there was a bunch of musicians on a lot album. uh so yeah starting things off the the lead off single is cherry pie as many listeners may know the song was was dedicated to the president of sony music entertainment uh, Don Einer, uh, due to the record company's pressure to make the song. So basically, they had an album that was called T- Uncle Tom's Cabin, and that was going to be the lead-off single, and we'll get to that track later. Uh, but they felt like they needed some kind of uh, arena... Um, what's what's the term? The, the Anthem. Anthem. Mm-hmm. And so they, they uh, asked them to go back and create another song and in 15 minutes uh janie lane wrote this this track and they eventually recorded it and they the album i mean the uh the record company felt like this was a hit and it was um i'm not a big fan of this track i never have been i i think part of it that amuses me uh, that it uh you know it's one of those things that it's almost done with disgust towards the record company and i can respect that and (laughs) so it's it's you know it's a it's a major hit there's no denying it It, whether i like it or not it doesn't matter this is this is a hit and it's still played regularly on the radio to this day uh one thing that's pretty interesting is we were just talking about 
Poison. Well, uh, the solo on this particular track, you mentioned that Mike Slammer or Slamer uh, was the one who did the solos. Well, this is the only track he didn't do, and it was C.C. DeVille who did the solo on, on Cherry Pie. And, and it's a pretty good solo. I mean, I'm not going to deny that. Um, this song is, is because of, of what... Okay, what we music head these metal heads that we are well we we dig deep into these things we we want to know all the facts and the history and all that shit behind it the average person on the street will have no idea oh yeah they wrote it as a freaking joke but you know for 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 writing it in 15 minutes to sit there and say okay here you go let's record it it's a it's a sustaining song that for lack of what Janie lane wanted it has defined their career um, it's unfortunate that that's the song that defined their career because Janie was much better than this, but it's one of those things where it's like, okay, you know what? Live with it. And they do. And they, and what they make a shitload of money on this song. <laughs> um, so, and the, the funny thing about the song is the video to me is more famous than the song. Yeah. I mean, for good reason. <laughs> So the other funny thing about this song is when we started, when we decided that we were going to talk about this topic, I remember the morning that you asked, you said, Hey, how about we do this? And I said, okay, I started to listen to this album, first song, Cherry Pie. And then I, uh, I, I turned on, uh, I, I listened to the album. I kind of switched over and I started listening to my personal playlist on Spotify hit the play button, it shuffled, this song comes on. I shit you not. Then, when I go to lunch, I get in the car, turn the radio on, and what's playing? Cherry Pie. I'm like, what the hell is going on here? It was destiny. <laughs> it was destiny, yes. Um, you know, I'm not as uh, negative towards this song as you are, per se, um, but... I, like, because I understand what this song is all about, and and I and I, because you respect it because it's an fu to to the, the president of so, of Sony, and you know I think it's a pretty cool way to be an fu because now, you know, in essence, it proved the 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 president of Sony right. So, you know, he made money, the band made money, and there you go. Yeah, but the thing is, so they made money. Yes, but Janie Lane hated it for his entire life. Oh, I know. And and I can understand that because being an artist and, and having that kind of integrity, um, that matters a lot to me. I, I understand where he's coming from. So that's a tough one. It is. All right, so the second track is Uncle Tom's Cabin. That's the third single. It was originally going to be the first single, like I mentioned before. It starts off with a nice acoustic. Sorry, it starts off with a nice acoustic solo by Eric Oswald, which is Janie's brother. Then rips into a heavier riff. Uh, the solos by Mike Slammer are pretty great. Uh, this is a really good track, and it is what it is. the The album became Cherry Pie, but I can see why this was going to be the leadoff single. This is really awesome. This song is, is incredible. Um, I love this song. I love the acoustic intro. I love the banjo. Um, you know, to use a wrestling term, this is great storytelling. And that also includes how the song was structured. Uh, it, it's, everything about this is great storytelling. Um, 
it was, you know, the follow-up to, to, to uh, their third single. Oh, excuse me. It was a follow-up to their second single, which was also a big hit. I mean, you have, you, you get two top 10 hits and we're not going to mention the song yet. It's one more song away. And then you come out with this song. It's still pretty, I mean, it reached number 78, so it's not bad. Um, you know, even though your first two reached top 10, this, this song wasn't going to reach top 10, but it's a great song for people who like metal, who, who liked metal at that time. This song is awesome. Um, it, it's hard to say anything bad about this song. All right, so that takes us into track three, I Saw Red. This was the second single, and it's a pretty good ballad. I mean, if you've seen the video, it's kind of funny because Janie is playing piano, but don't be fooled by the movie Trickery. That's not him playing. (laughs) There's a couple piano players that played on the album, so I don't know exactly who that is, Um, but it's it's kind of amusing. There was was part of the image of of, uh, glam metal, was making these guys look like heroes and i think that's kind of funny that they did that that you know uh puts him in a different light he's a sensitive guy too so um you know it's a it's a song that i think a lot of people can relate to about being cheated on and it, there was some rumors that it was from personal experience, but Janie came out on multiple times in interviews saying it wasn't something that happened to him, but it was something he could relate to from similar experiences or something like that. So it wasn't a one-to-one story. So then the question begs to, to, to be asked, what caused the delay of the first album? Because they're saying it was because of that incident that he had a nervous breakdown and the, mm. that that delayed the first album. So, you know, there's lots of things that, you know, uh, historically we're never going to be able to get to the bottom of. But that is an interesting tidbit because, you know, that was a story that's 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 out there. But then, you know, he comes out and says, no, 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 that really didn't happen. So who knows? Who knows? Uh, there was a, alternate versions of the track, too. But uh, those are available, I believe, on the the deluxe edition there's an acoustic they basically mtv kept coming to them and saying give us another version of this song <laughs> so yeah so the it happened multiple versions, times yeah the acoustic versions on the best of okay um, this song is pretty good i i i like the song um it's i mean it's not the greatest song in the, in the world but um you know <sighs> It, it, it's a well-written ballad and it features a really good vocal melody. Um, you know, and it's, it's catchy. That's the one thing about Janie that was really cool is that he knew how to write a good vocal melody. He knew how to write a catchy chorus. And, you know, you could tell by the, the first two albums that, that they released and the success behind them. Um, it's a shame that stuff got in the way. And, you know, that later on, you know, tragically ended his life. But, I mean, he was such a talented songwriter, you know, and this is one of those songs that really shows his his ability to write a song. I mean, the bridge on this is really what sends, sends this song to another level, and that's one of the things I like about this, this song. And the acoustic guitar version of it on that's on the Greatest Hits album is just a, a, a really cool version. Uh, it's very similar to what they did with um, 
something to believe in with Poison. They released a, an acoustic guitar version. It wasn't piano and changed the lyrics completely. Now, the, the, the original piano version is, is much better lyrically, but if you think that Brett went deep on the first one, the second one with the acoustic guitar is like even deeper. And, you know, it, it's even more heartbreaking to some degree. And this, and you could sense it with I Saw Red. You could sense um, Janie's heartbreak in the song. Mm. Okay. I'll have to check out the other versions, too. All right. So that takes us into track four, which is Bed of Roses. Uh, it's it's another catchy track with good so, uh, good solo. Um, and it's not really bad, but it doesn't really stand out in the pack because I think there's a lot better uh, songs on the album. I think the I think the song is pretty good. I mean, it's got a lighthearted chugging kind of riff on it. Um, it's got a nice vocal melody and, and and a catchy chorus, like like I've mentioned before. Um, it's one of those songs where it's it's singable, and you could see you can easily think about in a concert, everyone kind of sing along to this song. Um, but yes, I agree. It's not their best work, but it's it's a it's a it's a decent song. So one thing to note about it is. For most of the early albums, uh, Janie Lane was the only credited songwriter. Uh, but then he had a couple tracks where he brought in other artists that typically weren't members of the band. And so this one was Bonnie Hayes wrote on it. Um, this track five is Sure Feels Good to Me. It's a really fast-paced rocker that I think really stands out on the album. It's uh, it's one that you can kind of he- headbang to, which is a little bit surprising because I I wouldn't really think of Warrant when I thought of a song like this. You know, Warrant. You know, to me as as a non-fan and what you hear on the radio is typically Cherry Pie. So when you hear something like this, it's it's pretty good. And the backing vocals really helped stand out. And it, it credits Bruno Ravel and Steve West as the, the backup vocals on this track. And I think it's, it's one that's really short and sweet. It rocks, and it's, it's a fun one to listen to. The, the, what I was going to reflect on when you were talking about Janie's voice and, 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 and the different things. or not You didn't reflect on his voice, but the, the way you, he was... Something you said that triggered my mind. <laughs> um one of the things that I like, you know, Janie has that way he can sing softly. And then when it, when he wants to sing like hard rock, he sings, it's a, it's a different style of, of vocals. And that, you know, everyone goes through that, but his is very distinctive. And I like the way he sings on this song. And it definitely tells you that this song is a different vibe altogether. Um, and it's definitely an up-tempo rocker. I like it because it's, it's that much different than the typical warrant. Yeah, it really is. I, I, I was very surprised by this one. Uh, track six is love and stereo. It's another fun rocker with a cool piano part, uh, and another good solo. It's, it's got a modern for the time feel. So 1990 feel, um, but also has some fifties rock vibes. Who wouldn't want a good menage a trois, huh? fair question don't answer that question married men (laughs) well some wives are into it some guys are into it um it's a it's a cool song um and it's it's basically love and stereo he's just talking about being with two women at one time so good for him (laughs) (laughs) 
All right, that leads us into uh, track seven, Blind Faith. This was the fourth single. Uh, it's a power ballad and a decent one. Uh, but I don't think it quite makes my monster ballad list. More on that later. We may you be got a doing a monster ballad list, do you? <laughs> we may be doing a monster ballad episode at some point. Um, Mike Slammer really kills it on the solo on this one, though. I think it fits perfectly in this track. Um, it adds a lot to it, and I think it's a good good one overall. Um, but I think something about that solo really just tied everything together. Um, you know, for me, it, it's it was relatively generic ballad. Um, it it's so it didn't decent. make your monster ballad list either. It did not make my monster ballad list. No, <laughs> um, it just doesn't have what it takes to me. You know, it's one of those where you know, a, a, a band or artist is trying. But it doesn't really do it. I get it. All right. So that takes us into track eight, Song and Dance Man. So one thing I noticed when listening to this is Janie really does have a powerful voice. And it's I, I guess it's just something that because of the way that, that Warren's been presented, you almost don't realize that he's as, as strong of a singer as he is. Um on this, on tracks like this, I think it's much more obvious because there's a lot of room to breathe. There's there's the instrumental part, but then his vocals are laying on top of it so well crafted um, that it it's just it's very obvious. I like the the track as a whole. I thought it was good. I, I like the way this song is structured because it, it has the slow verses with an up-tempo chorus. Um, I, I like that. I like that back and forth. Um, I like the intro, the acoustic intro on the song. Um, when you when you do songs like this, you could sense there's a songwriting, not necessarily lyrically, but there's a, a songwriting maturity that, that, that you know, comes with it because you're able to, you're able to start playing around with different ideas rather than just always going, you know, 100 miles an hour, and then er, slamming the brakes and coming up with a ballad and going back to 100 miles an hour. Mm -hmm. This song, you know, this kind of structure, this song tells you that he's like, yeah, let's let's try this. You know, there was some experimentation, I guess you want to put it that way. Yeah, I I started to to think as I was listening to this, is Warrant as much of a band as it is, at, at least at this point in their career, is it as like whatever musicians are playing with Janie almost? You know, in the same concept of, like, Death was Chuck Schuldiner, and he had a lot of great musicians that played with him, and they were a band, technically, but if they didn't fit at the time, like, he would move on. Well, that's funny, because the band, in reality, didn't change much. No, they didn't, and I'm, that's, I'm not saying that, that, they, that he just switched people out, but, I mean, it's, he's the songwriter, He's he's the, the 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 vocalist that that really stands out here. He's got a lot of additional musicians that are helping out. They've, they've got two rhythm guitarists instead. They don't have a, a lead guitarist. You know, right. it it just mm-hmm. makes me think like Janie was the star. Everyone else was was maybe manufactured, or if they were playing together before. You know, I'm just I'm just going off of a hunch here. I obviously need to do more research on it, 
Um, well, I mean, the way the funny thing is that Janie wasn't one of the original people. The original person that's been in the band from the beginning mm-hmm. is Eric Turner. Yeah. And, and he, you know, he started the band. He had another vocalist. He had a different bass player, a different guitar player, different drummer. And then um, they heard Janie. And uh, there was a there was a switch. In, uh, one of the guitar players um, changed, and then he brought in Joey Allen. Um, right before that, he had brought in um, Janie Lane, and Janie came along with with Stephen Sweet. So uh, it rounded out. You know, they had already gotten J- uh, Jerry Dixon. That was the guy that they changed out real real early. Gotcha. Was, was Jerry Dixon? So, and the funny thing is that the you know to this day, Jerry Dixon. Is, is the bass player, never left. Eric Turner has been there since day one. Steven Sweet is back in the band. Um, Joey Allen is back in the band. I mean, when they reunited basically in 2004, it was basically the original or, or the classic lineup of the band, but with um, Jamie St. James, the original singer for Black and Blue, who looks very similar to um, Jenny Lane. Uh, he was in there for a bit. Did one album, Janie came back, and then Janie was fired shortly thereafter, and Robert Mason has been the vocalist ever since. So the band's been pretty stable uh, throughout most of the the, the, the 2000s. Um, so it's interesting because I get what you're saying. You know, it's it, it was it was almost like this is Janie's band, and you know, yeah, you, you might not be good enough guitar player, so we're gonna get somebody to do solos, and, and it was a strange dynamic. But the band was good with it. So they, yeah, yeah. And, it, and what I was what I was saying is no slight to any of those musicians. It just it it just very much seems like it was the Janie Lane show, and then everyone else was along for the ride. And maybe they improved as they went along and became better musicians, and you know filled that role, etc. Because obviously, weren't still together, and they're still playing. And you like you said, it's a, it's the same guys that were back in the classic lineup with the exception of the Robert Mason on vocals. Um, but, it, it, you know, it's just interesting. So, And the more I learn about um, the creation of bands, etc., I, I, I've also noticed how much influence, like, like we mentioned it earlier, that the record companies have. And maybe that's even sometimes putting a band together. You know, they sign certain musicians or singers... And then they say, well, we've signed this band, but we don't really like your, your, you as the singer. We're, we're going to put this person in your band with you. So sometimes stuff like that does happen, too. I have I, heard that happen, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, back to uh, the, the album. <laughs> um, the Track 9 is You're the Only Hell Your Mama Ever Raised. Um, you know, this. The, I think the chorus stands out the most here. You know, and and it's got some really creative song structure with the the chorus itself. Overall, it's a little bit genetic, genetic, generic. <laughs> got some DNA in it's it. It's got some <laughs> DNA in there, um, but it, it's uh, you know, it's got that really kind of cool structure of the of the uh, the chorus. Yeah, I mean, it got some cool parts to the song. Um, it's an anthem. You know, and that's what I guess drives the song. And but other than that, I mean, you, you're you're getting towards the end of the album. You know, you've already passed all the hits, and now you're towards the end of the album. This one is okay. It it, it keeps you kind of interested um, to bring you into the la- uh, the last couple songs. Well, 
you're right. We are getting towards the end, and usually that is a sign of, of the decline of the quality of the song sometimes. But I think track 10, Mr. Rainmaker, is really good. You know, it's it's pretty heavy. Um, the lead-out solo is really nice. Uh, it's one of those tracks that I listened to a couple times because I actually found a lot to like about it. And for being so deep in the album, that's pretty cool. You know, it's it, for me, it's not a bad song. Um, I, I began... It, when you get to a certain point in the album, you you, you know how I am. It's just like it, sometimes an album will lose me, and you know this song, it never grabbed me enough to sit there and continuously listen to it. So I, you know, I don't have a lot to say about it, good or bad. It's it's an end of the album track for me. <laughs> mm. Well, that takes us into track eleven, which is a. A cover of a Blackfoot song Train Train. I think it fits well with some of the southern stylings. There's little hints of it throughout the album so it's a, it's a cover that works. Um, I think they placed it at the end because maybe the record company said you have to have this uh, a cover on here and you know maybe they only had a f- couple to choose from or I don't know I could be talking out of my ass and this is one of those ones that they they felt passionate about, but I don't think if they placed it at track eleven, they were that excited about it. Yeah, it it, it seems to me, you know, when you've you've got one through ten already, you know, and then you you've got train train, which you know it's it's a it's a good version. We're not gonna you know, not gonna say it's a terrible version. It's a good version of the song, but it's also you know relatively you know for a glam pop metal band not a lot of people know about blackfoot i mean some do some of the older older ones you know but you know it was one of those things where it's kind of like that's a, a curious choice of songs to play now maybe it was Bo who brought it in as a producer maybe it was a record company who knows i found it curious i agree it's it's a little odd but it works and it's a it's a good version of it so and it's at the very end of the album so it's really non-threatening Right. Um, that takes us into the final track, which is a, a very uh, touching <laughs> tribute to Miss Tipper Gore, the uh, one of the heads of the PMRC. And I'm sure if you're listening to this show, you're probably familiar with the PR, PMR. Excuse me. You're probably familiar with the PMRC. Uh, but if you're not, uh, definitely check out some information on them. Maybe watch. Uh, um, some of the D- trials, D. Yeah, Snyder, D. Snyder specifically, Frank Zappa. Uh, yeah, uh, basically, this is a some nasty dialogue clips from all their live shows of mostly uh, Janie saying "f this, f that, fuck this," you know, mentions of BJ's, etc. All the things that the PMRC uh, really loved and and, and treasured. So. <laughs> um, what's funny about this is that they released two versions of this album. One was the clean version, which did not have this track whatsoever. And then one was this one. So if you bought the one that had the, the sticker that the PMRC so graciously adopted to put on uh, records. The sales driving sticker. The, the, exactly, the sales driving sticker. Then, you know, you got the ode to Tipper Gore. If you did not have that on the front, you did not get this. So... 
it's the funny thing is, you know, when this album came out, this is 1990, I was 21 years old. And I, I believe I had just started working or I was about to start working uh, at the music store. And I bought the clean version. Not for any other reason than that's the only one I saw. Did not realize that they had one with a sticker on it that had the Ode to Dipper Gore on it. It just some some places just had the clean version and it wasn't put aside, you know, uh, categorized as clean version, dirty version type of thing. Um, it was just that was the Warrant album you got for Cherry Pie. Mm. So I had that for the longest time, and then uh, when they remastered it, they reissued it. Um, all of them are with the sticker, and then they added two bonus tracks to it. Well, you missed out because this I is did. a beautiful, beautiful song. I did miss out on all the fuck yous, and every, <laughs> everyone should listen to it. You know, you can you can put it up there with any ballad. Uh, maybe put it on your monster ballad list. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So overall, considering that I've never really liked Cherry Pie and I wasn't super familiar with Warrant, I was I was very surprised by my, how much I liked here. Um, always, I've always heard that particular song isn't necessarily indicative of the catalog, meaning Cherry Pie, but uh, I was I was thoroughly convinced of that. There, there's a lot more here. In, in what Janie Ling does as a songwriter. Uh, you know, it's not the deepest material, but there's a lot of varied material. There's a lot of um, really good uh, rockers. There's a lot of good ballads. You know, there's, there's surprising stuff that Cherry Pie does not represent what, what the band was capable of. Absolutely. Um, the one, the funny thing about this is that, you know, the, the glam metal scene that came out of LA for the most part, uh, it wasn't very deep in terms of, uh, songwriting, not ability, but songwriting, uh, uh, lyrics, you know, the lyrics weren't very deep. They, they were very shallow, <laughs> and, um, but some people were able to rise above it and have better, better songs and deeper songs. And you yourself, in, in with this experiment, have realized that you know every so often Brett Michaels puts out a pretty decent deep song. Same thing with Jenny Lane. Same thing with Tom Kiefer, and you know a lot of those guys in the middle. You know, even Bon Jovi. There was one. There's a couple songs from Bon Jovi that I really think are really cool. Um, uh, you mean in, in like the early years of Bon Jovi? Because he did be- write some deeper songs later on. Oh, yeah. No, the, talking the earlier years, like um, the yeah, New yeah. Jersey album, um, which is, I think it was his uh, fourth album. It was their mm-hmm. fourth album. Uh, there's a song on there, Blood on Blood. Hands down, my favorite Bon Jovi song. It's about Blood Brothers um, and how three guys were, were, you know, basically best friends growing up and, and how they um, will do anything for each other. And I love that song. Uh, it had a lot of meaning to me with a couple of my best friends that I grew up with in Miami. Uh, and I, when I say grew up, my in my twenties, in my thirties. Um, but you know, the, for the most part, glam metal is not very deep. It's very shallow. It's just all about having a good time, and you know, ain't nothing if, but a good time. Ain't nothing but a good How time. How could I resist? I mean, this album for me was pretty cool. Um, 
I look past Cherry Pie most all the time just because, yeah, it's one of those songs like you hear it so often, you're like, eh, I don't want to hear this again. Um, I go right to Uncle Tom's Cabin. I think that's a great song. So it is It is one of those that um, it's, it's tough to really, on the surface, like you said, tough to pinpoint and say, oh, yeah, this is that band, the Cherry Pie band. No, there's much more behind that wall. Absolutely. I think if you haven't given them a chance, um, do the same thing that I did. Listen to more of their catalog, uh, maybe even just this full album, and I think you'll see that there's more to them than just Cherry Pie. Yep. So um, I want to hear your opinion first as to which album you think is better. So I think Flesh and Blood has a lot going for it if you're a fan of that type of music. But I think for me personally, I thought Cherry Pie was a better album. Um, there was more thought put into the music in a, in a way for me. You know, there's something to be said for four guys going and writing all the music and putting it together. Um, but there's also something to be said for the kind of craftsmanship that Janie Lane put behind a lot of the songwriting and the the um, additional musicians I think were there for a reason because they really did enhance the music as, as a whole too. So I don't know. There, there's something to be said on both sides of the argument. Like, do, is it, do you just have the go, the band go and do the thing or do you put, to, put out an album that's superior? Um, I think cherry pie, the song, you know, it, it, it is what it is. It, it's, in the placement that it is, but if you look at it as the original concept of the Uncle Tom's Cabin album, I think it's a, it's really good, and it's a, it's a kind of a tragedy that it's buried under the Cherry Pie moniker. Yeah, um, so you know, on the surface, Flesh and Blood sold three million copies. Um, mm-hmm. Cherry Pie sold two million copies. That doesn't mean that. That flesh and blood is one million times better than than, than cherry pie. Um, I'm surprised that cherry pie didn't do more with that single, um, but I think the song itself, the single, is like a huge single in terms of like sales. Mm-hmm. Um, this one is is almost really a toss up for me because there is so much going on with with Janie and you know Uncle Tom's Cabin and. Um, Sure feels good to me. Songs like that are pretty cool. I saw Red is a great song. Um, but then I like songs like Unskinny Bop, Ride the Wind, Life Goes On, Something to Believe In. So um, I think in my opinion as a whole, beginning to end, I'm, I'm going to give it um, Poison's Flesh and Blood as the better album. Um, but it's really close, in my opinion, because there is a lot of really good songwriting by Janie in the background. All right. Well, we're definitely different on this one. But definitely so different. That comes sometimes to just personal taste. So Exactly. Well, that brings us to our big four for tonight. And we got a double big four. We got big four Poison songs and big four Warrant songs. So... Um, which one do you want to do first? Do you want to do Warren songs first or do Poison songs? Let's do Poison because that's what we started off tonight. Okay. All right. So I'll go first on this one and you can go first on the Warren ones. Okay. 
All right. Um, so for me, Poison songs. Now, Poison is what's funny about Poison is in 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 all honesty, they released uh, was it seven albums, and it really is one of them is a, is a covers album. <sighs> they have a limited career because you know after. You know, uh, Richie joined the band, and and everything went south with that native tongue. You know, they they took a break for a while. Um, basically, reunited with with CC, um, and came out with "Crack a Smile and More," which included some stuff from the Poison Unplugged, and it featured. It's funny thing is, it featured Blue Saraceno, even though they had they they released this album. After they broke, they had reunited with CC, but Blues Saraceno had played on the album, and so it was really strange. And and then CC was on the the unplugged tracks. Um, so I really put the career of Poison in the first four albums, if you want to put it that way, and realistically, just the first three. So my songs come from those three albums, and the first one is Love on the Rocks. That is the lead track to open up and say Ah, I. I just love that song. I don't know what it is about it. It's just, it, it, it gets you going and it's a really good lead in to nothing but a good time. Um, but I like that song more than nothing but a good time. Uh, number three for me is unskinny bop, uh, off of flesh and blood. We just talked about it. Um, no, no need to go into any more about that song. Uh, number two for me is every rose has its thorn. I just think it's a great song. I mean, there's a lot of meaning to it. It's a relationship. It's a heartbreak song, but it's really done well. And it's still played t- today. And, you know, it, I like the song. Um, but for me, my number one song is probably the hardest, heaviest song that they have ever done. And that is Look What the Cat Dragged In off of the Look What the Cat Dragged In album. It is, to me, my favorite Poison song. All right. We do have small amount of crossover um so my number four this was a tough one for me because actually i listened to a lot of what they had released and um it was really hard for me to find something that i just genuinely liked and it's it's surprising like because i just i don't hate poison but i i just don't enjoy a lot of their music and so finding four tracks that I said, you know, <laughs> there was really only two that I said, like, I, I'd like to put my name on this and say I really like it. So my number four and my number three are like the best of the worst, I would say. <laughs> um, <laughs> my number four is nothing but a good time. You know, I've heard it a billion times. It's it's a fun song. It's, it, it, yeah, it's it's decent. Um, my number three is Look What the Cat Dragged In, which was your number one. Um, yeah, I like that song well enough. It's it's good. Um, my number two I genuinely like is Ride the Wind. We mentioned it earlier. Very mature, um, different kind of sound to the band in a way. It's uh, it's a really good track. And my number one is the, the only... The only Poison song that I've ever had on a playlist is Talk Dirty to Me. Uh, I think it's one of their best songs. It's a lot of fun. It's got a really cool opening riff, and it's their genuine hit for me. 
I like Talk Dirty to Me a lot. Um, I love the riff on that song. But uh, these other songs I like more. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So go ahead and lead off the Warrant songs. So Warrant, I did listen to their full catalog. And wow, I, there really? was a, the whole thing. Yeah. yeah. Wow. I, and there was some stuff that I that I found that I did like. But I had to be very honest, and three of my songs are off of one album. Um, so, this is nine albums. Yeah, it was, a, <laughs> it was a lot to listen to. But I'm I've been dedicated to kind of doing this, you know, the right way. I think. So, um, Wait, what, are you, what are you trying to say? <laughs> we only have so much time in the day. Um, I will say that I found some stuff off of Louder, Harder, Faster. The newest album was really good. Um, Rockaholic was not bad. I just kind of want to go over this before I get into my big four. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought Ultraphobic was interesting. That was the one that was a little bit more of like alternative rock. Um, you could tell because of the time period. 1995. They, they, yeah, they really went into that. Dog Eat Dog was really cool. Um, you know, having to follow up Cherry Pie uh, into the start of the grunge era. And that's a tough follow-up to do so i think i think they did a pretty good job in that um but some of the stuff in between wasn't so great um (coughs) belly to belly i thought was pretty weak under the influence kind of the same born again not you know just not so great um but the, the first album was pretty good cherry pie dog eat dog if you if you want to give something a little out of the ordinary a chance, give it ultraphobic, but louder, harder, faster, pretty cool. Anyway, back to the big four. Uh, my number four was off of Dog Eat Dog, Inside Out. Thought that was a really heavy track. It's really cool. Um, like I said, that album. It's a tough follow up to Cherry Pie. The time that it came out, that's that's not an easy time to do. So um, to get a little harder and heavier, I think that was necessary, and it's, it's a cool track. My number three was Mr. Rainmaker off of Cherry Pie. Um, I mentioned that. That was, that was one of the ones towards the end. I think uh, give that one another chance because uh, I think it's a really cool track, and sometimes there's that fatigue of having listened to song after song after song. But I think just start a day, you know, put that on as the first song you listen to. I think you'll, you'll find it more entertaining. Will um, do. My number two is Sure Feels Good to Me. Again, that was the one that really surprised me with how, how fun of a rocker that was. Um, it was just, it was a lot of, a lot of surprise for me to hear something very different than cherry pie. And, uh, my number one is uncle Tom's cabin. I, th- I think we said enough on that one and it's, it's just an awesome track. Okay. So we have one song that crossed over and, um, I, I almost feel like for for me, there needs to be a uh, like a like a what was it the one that we don't like to do the uh, honorable mention. Um, so I'm just gonna say it. Uh, Hole in my wall off of uh, was it doggy dog? Doggy is dog. a really is a really cool song. That is a cool song. Um, but I just put it right outside my top four. Hole in hole in my wall is like. Um Warrant doing their best Alice in Chains. 
<laughs> yeah, exactly. A lot of bands were doing their best Alice in Chains at that point. It's so hard to be Alice in Chains. I think that's the one thing that people didn't understand. They're not playing normal freaking music, you know? They're 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 playing discordant. They did just they're, they're not playing. You know, yes, they have a ton of harmony, but they're not playing. Everything is you know in minor keys. It's so mm-hmm. off off beat, and it's I think so. That's a band we need to do something on at some point. We will. They're so unique that it's it's hard to copy. So for them to try to copy, for people to try to pretend to song write songs like them, it doesn't work. Anyway. Um, so my number four song is I Saw Red. Uh, I thought that's a, a th- well, I think it's a pretty good song. Um, I like both versions of it. Um, it's just one of those things where I like to sing along to that song in the car. Um, and I, especially when the bridge hits. So I, that's my number four song. My number three song is Dirty, Rotten, Filthy, Stinking, Rich. Um, it's the lead from the first or, album. From the first album. Um, it's just, it was one of those songs, I mean, the Down Boys is what, what really kind of got them started on the map, and then, you know, uh, they, they they released a couple of other singles, but this one was a pretty good single that they released off the first album, and I think it it, uh, it really stuck with me, as well as the fact that it, they intro Cherry Pie with the, with the, the title. Um, number two for me, Cherry Pie, um, as, as much as it's a hated song, it's still a uh, a fun song and even though it's a million you've heard it a million times and you don't want to hear it again when you're in a situation and a setting where it's appropriate the song is pretty cool so we'll put it that way and then my number one song is the same as your number one uncle tom's cabin hands down my favorite uh warrant song i mean it's an absolute to me an absolute classic it is an amazing song all right well, that's our Big Four Poison and Warrant songs. That puts a bow on this episode of Debating Metal. So like always, don't forget to tell your friends, your wives, your girlfriends, your boyfriends, your teachers, even your parents. Tell everyone to subscribe to Debating Metal. And don't forget you can interact with us by commenting on our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, or you can send us a DM as well. If you listen to us on YouTube, be sure to leave us a comment, or if you want, send us an email to debatingmetal at gmail.com. And remember to tune in to the next episode where we spark up another exciting metal debate. On behalf of Kenneth and myself, stay safe and always turn it up to 11. See ya.